I feel like someone might have mentioned this earlier, but uh, Christmas is next week. I'm, uh, I'm excited about it, even if you're not, but I'm, I'm super, super excited about it. I love Christmas no matter what day of the week it is, but the fact that it's on a Sunday and we get to worship together uh, on Christmas, I mean, that is just incredible. It's going to be colder, um, so uh, it's called winter, and uh, yeah, so just know that, and it's okay. You can go outside in the cold. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's perfectly fine to go outside in the cold. We all have nice cars. With, most of us have nice heaters. Any of you ever drove a car without a heater? Who's had to do that? Yeah. Yeah, I had a, uh, my wife's car actually, it was, it was shortly after we got married and, and I worked in Lafayette and so she didn't um, and uh, her car's heat went out and so uh, I got to drive the car all winter um, to Lafayette all winter in the cold. I never knew your windshield could frost on the inside. <laughs> that was something I learned. I had the ice scraper on the inside trying to see out. That was, I tried everything. I bought one, of the, I tried one of those like plug-in like seat heater things, you know, for your cigarette lighter. That's actually what those aren't actually. Anyway, um, yeah, it didn't work. I, I bought, they made little like fans you could put on the dash that were supposed to defrost your, yeah, that didn't work. Uh, I'd make big things of hot chocolate to take with me to try to stay warm on the trip to Lafayette. That didn't work. I was really cold by the time I got to school, but it's okay. It's okay. I want to start off today. Um, how many of you remember church bulletins? Do you remember those days? Um, now, for those of you that say, oh, I love church bulletins. No, you didn't. You didn't read them. You never knew the announcements in them either, so stop it. They were a waste of paper. We all know that, all right? So, uh, oh, it did give you something to doodle on during the sermon, though. I guess it did do that. That's right. So, yeah, that was its purpose. I know. Those church bulletins, Chris had actually got to be the secretary at the church that we grew up at for, uh, for several years, and so uh, she was in charge of making those church bulletins. Um, back in the, we had a risograft, risograft back in the day. Remember those? Oh, yeah. She loved that machine, didn't you, sweetie? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she, it, was the, it was a fun sounding machine, but that was about it. Um, we're talking about an announcement today, so I thought it would be fun to read some, some um, mistyped announcements and or announcements that say exactly what they mean, but it doesn't quite sound correct. So just, just laugh if you want. If you don't, that's just fine. The first one, the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. <laughs> this would be a fun one, evening massage at 6 p.m., Hmm. One letter. It's amazing how that does that. The audience is asked to remain seated until the end of the recession. I think we're going to be sitting here a while, y'all. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Um, ushers will eat latecomers. That's one letter. Just one letter makes all the difference in the world. An announcement in a church bulletin for the National Day of Prayer and Fasting Conference said this. The cost for attending the prayer and fasting conference includes meals. I don't know. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have have a nursery downstairs. That comma's in the wrong place. Anyway, last one. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It is a good chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husband's. That's what it says. Anyway, we're surrounded with announcements all the time. And as you know, in our current society, you know, everything is absolutely, it's so important. Every, every announcement, every news item is the most important thing ever for 30 seconds, and then we move on. I'm a news junkie. I've told you that before. I always have been. I love to look at the headlines as a kid. Literally, as a young child, middle school even, I would get home from school, and I would be in front of the TV at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 
and 6.30 to see the news, the local and the national news, every night. And I don't know why. I have no idea why that is. I, I don't. I, nobody else in my family, I was the only one that watched it. Um, maybe it's just because I really like to be in the know. I like to know what's going on. I don't like to not know what's going on. That kind of bugs me. Um, I love to know what's going on in the world around me. It just fascinates me to hear about those things. I, I don't know. So, But think about your lifetime so far. What has been the most outrageous announcements, whether it be news or otherwise, that you've ever heard? Did they involve politics? Depending on your lifespan, how long that goes, maybe there's some incredible announcements you remember. Maybe it's from the world of entertainment. Maybe it was from the world of sports. You, you might have went to sleep that night that the Cubs actually won the World Series. You might have went to sleep. It was late. All of us have those moments in life. Have you ever heard an announcement that was just not even believable? How about this one? The exact opposite. Have you ever gotten that announcement that you've been waiting for? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting, expecting that announcement, and it finally came. How did that make you feel when that happened? See, as I was writing this, I was reminded of the impact that words have on our lives. Now, I don't know what you think, but in this world that we have today, everything is focused around video and pictures, and those are wonderful but words, when you hear them spoken to you, they, they change things. Maybe they were just words on a newspaper page that you read, and they had an impact. Maybe they were words from a TV news anchor, but they shook you to the core. You couldn't believe that that had happened. Maybe it was something that was spoken directly to you, and to this day, you can hear that voice and those words that were spoken. Timely spoken words, especially when followed by corresponding action, that actually still might be the most effective way to change somebody's eternity, in case you wondered. Today, we're going to look at an outrageous announcement, the announcement of God's plan for the coming Messiah. We're going to start by looking at some of the very early mysterious announcements that really didn't define themselves all that well, and then finish with truly the most outrageous and unbelievable announcement of all. Last week, I told you that the very first hint of this coming Messiah was all the way back in Genesis 3.15. It was just after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God was talking to them and confronting Satan and told them this, and I will put an enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And that's really all we get until the time of Abraham. Someone, someone would come to defeat Satan, but we don't know who, and we don't know when, and we don't know how. The next word we hear is that call from God to Abraham to tell him that all the offspring of the entire world would be blessed through your seed, through your family line in Genesis 22, 18. It's a vague description of what's to come. Now, I'm sure that news was very exciting for Abraham, but there's no way, apart from divine revelation, that Abraham could have any idea what God was actually saying to him. And he didn't live long enough to see it fulfilled. Then that exact same promise was made to Isaac, Abraham's son, in Genesis 26.4. And then again to Isaac, Jacob's son, in Genesis 28.14. God really, really, really wanted them to know that all the nations of the earth will somehow be blessed through their family line. 
There's one more from that series where Jacob is called upon by God to prophesy to his family which of his 12 sons would be the one to carry on that promise. And it comes from Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he who, to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. Fast forward through Joseph, through Moses, through the tribes, through getting into the promised land, all the way to that line of Judah through King David. The same outrageous announcement is once again made through God's prophet Nathaniel this time. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. A long time after David, as the kingdoms of Israel begin their last final stance, their demise, the prophet, of, the prophet Isaiah once again reminds the Jews that the Messiah would come from the line of David, Isaiah 11, 1. A hundred years later, the prophet Jeremiah would bring it up yet again in Jeremiah 23, 5. In other words, God is constantly repeating this message. Gee, I wonder what that means. First law of hermeneutics. If it's repeated, then it's important. <laughs> it is important. This specific message keeps being repeated throughout thousands of years of history, time and time and time again. God keeps putting it right in front of his people. He doesn't want him to forget about this promise. And it's through his prophets that he then begins to take this prediction to a whole other level, a little more specific. So since it's Christmas, let's just talk about the specific predictions surrounding Jesus's birth. In fact, just the most outrageous one of them all. The most outrageous prediction about the coming Messiah was not that he would come from the line of David. Of course he would come from the line of David, the best king Israel ever had. It wasn't a surprise that he would be born in the tiny, insignificant town of Bethlehem. Why? Well, because that's where David was from. So it makes some sense. The most outrageous part of this plan, the most outrageous prophecy about Jesus' birth is found in Isaiah 7, 14. It simply says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Wait a minute. That's impossible. By very definition, a virgin can't give birth. And you see, our scientific minds, our culture tell us that is impossible. If you look at the way God worded his announcement, he knows that it's impossible according to human standards. The rules that God put in place. So just always remember when you say something's impossible, these are the rules that God put in place for us to follow, <laughs> That's why it makes this announcement so special. It was a sign. It was out of the ordinary. It was attention-grabbing. Isaiah is telling the people of Israel that there will come a time when a woman that has never been with a man will conceive. And when that happens, then and only then will you know what that means. You will know who that baby is. You will know what that baby will become. When this happens, it will be so outrageous that everyone will know that this has to be the Messiah. Our definition of outrageous, it absolutely exceeds the limits of what is usual, yes? Definitely not conventional, and it definitely goes way beyond human standards, right? It's miraculous. It's unbelievable. It's outrageous. 
Now, we don't know what the people of Isaiah's time thought about these words. We don't know how they responded. But what we do know is that these words were cherished, and they were handed down from generation to generation to generation, 700 years, in fact, to the time of Jesus. And people waited for this sign to appear. It was an outrageous announcement 700 years before it happened, and it was just as outrageous when it actually came. Because when they actually made this announcement for the final time, it wasn't through a prophet. It wasn't delivered to some big crowd of people. No, this moment is only captured by the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. As we see in that gospel, and we read it together, you must remember who Luke is. I know we just did a study of the book of Luke, but Luke was not a follower of Jesus early on in life. Luke was a professional. He was a physician. He was a scientist of his day, a man of logic and of reason, who likely found God through the teachings of Paul. And after his conversion, God inspired him to put together this book, this book which created the storyline of Jesus' life. His stated goal and purpose was to put together a carefully investigated, orderly account for everything from the beginning. So he went all the way back to the literal beginning, Jesus's birth, beginning with that young lady named Mary and an angel named Gabriel. The announcement goes like this, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man, Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now this first part of this announcement was outrageous. It was stunning. It was an angel after all. Every human being reacts exactly like Mary does when she interacts that in, with that angel. She is troubled. Some versions say terrified. I still want to know what these angels look like. They must be something incredible because every single person has the exact same reaction. There's two options. One, it, they could be incredibly frightening looking. And it's very possible. We have absolutely no idea about that. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're so incredibly magnificent that when you and I see them, we just don't know what to do. So to be scared is quite honestly the only option we have. Either way, Mary's able to process a bit of what the angel says, and she's just left wondering, what on earth could this mean? How on earth am I highly favored? Who am I to deserve such a greeting? There was no information about what this greeting was about, just that it was sent from God himself. Gabriel's appearance was completely outrageous, but what he says next takes it to a whole nother level. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if that announcement ended right there, that was the end. There was no more to this announcement. Mary could have listened and put the pieces of the puzzle together in her human mind. Okay, Gabe, I get it. I'm getting married soon. Natural consequence, a lot of times, of getting married is having children. So a son, that would be awesome. That would be awesome if we had a son. The name Jesus, well, okay, I guess we could go with that. That's what you say. But about the kingship thing, um, 
Okay, you're right. Joseph, actually, both of us are actually kind of distant relatives of King David. Um, but are you saying that somehow our son is going to take the throne back? Because that, that's it. And you said he'd rule forever. Uh, people die, so how's that really possible? don't really know what you're talking about. Ladies in the room, I want to ask you a question. I don't know if people still do this because we live in a world of technology and nobody writes anything anymore. So I don't really know how this works in technology. Somebody needs to share it with me. But as younger ladies, did any of you ever sit down and daydream about having a family one day? Did you doodle out the name of boys that you liked multiple times over and 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 over on that notebook? Ah, did any of you write your name with his last name to follow? (laughs) Now, anyone under the age of probably like 25 is like, what? Okay, but everybody else is like, I get it. Did you imagine the names of your children one day? And maybe even who they would maybe become or what they might do? Did you dream about these things? Because that's kind of what's happening to Mary right here, only she's not the one having the dream. (laughs) Someone else is telling her her plans and what they will be, the angels revealing them to her. What the angel has told her seems really far-fetched, especially for a humble carpenter and his soon-to-be wife from this little town called Nazareth. But that wasn't the end of the conversation, was it? Mary looked past the kingship, the titles, the power that would go with everything the angel just said and kind of scratched her head and said, hey, Gabe, yeah, how about that? How's that going to happen since I am a virgin? Now, that's a good question. Mary was a thinker. How's that going to work there? I've never been with a man. But notice she doesn't question that it can happen. She just wants to know how. She wants to know how. Does Mary know and believe in the impossible prophecy from so long ago? See, I believe the answer is yes, she did. She absolutely believed that one day that prophecy would come true. And maybe, just maybe, she, like countless other Jewish girls, might have grown up dreaming of the possibility that God might choose her for such an incredible honor. And that's when the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail or much better translation, I believe. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary then says, oh, well, that's all. I was, thought this was going to be something really outrageous, you know, like, what? <laughs> Wait, well, what did you just say? How's that going to happen again? God, you know, something out of the norm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's going to conceive a child within me. Uh-huh. You see, that's never happened before. That's something brand new on planet Earth. One might be able to look at the many, and there are several biblical examples of God allowing couples who were unable to conceive earlier in life to be able to conceive later in life. But at very best, that involves the Holy Spirit opening up the womb of the woman or man, whichever you determine caused the issue and not being able to have the child to begin with, so that the natural process could then follow. This is different. This is not how biology works. So this is what we need to rightfully call a miracle. Because it is. 
Church, do not dismiss miracles, please, 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 please. A miracle does not require you to abandon science. It does not require you to abandon thinking nor reason, but it does require you to have this thing called faith. And our God is a God, still a God of miracles. He is a God of the impossible. But he's ordained and he's established these functions, these rhythms in this world, laws that govern our universe in such a way that our human minds can figure out some of the amazing ways that these things work. Do we understand all of it? No, and we never will. But he's given us the ability to think, the ability to reason. Through this, we have found some incredible equations and some incredible theories that seem to be pretty stinking spot on, don't they? Now, of course, we humans have a few others that uh, might just be a little far from the truth, but that's another story for another time. Mary's response, very simple, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Her response is priceless. Her faith in that response, incredible. There is absolutely no way, apart from divine revelation, that she could understand the full implication of what she was agreeing to, and yet she was willing. She agreed to play this huge role in God's outrageous plan to bring the Messiah to this earth. The angel's announcement, completely outrageous. A virgin will give birth and conceive and give birth. Here's the problem. So many people today dismiss this part of Jesus' story. Does Jesus really need to be born in this seemingly impossible way for him to be Jesus? The answer, yes. Yes. Why? What does it mean? That's what we get to share today. When we say that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, here is what we are talking about. First, First, Jesus was born by the direct action of God. There was no one that expected anything like this. Joseph, the first one other than Mary and Elizabeth to find out, assumes the absolute worst, that he'd been betrayed until an angel intervenes. Mary, she's shocked and she's mystified by Joseph's words. The Jews in general had no idea how this concept of a baby being born of a virgin could somehow lead to a person that would deliver them. It happened because God willed it to happen and for no other reason. God chose to do it this way because God chose to do it this way. A virgin gives birth by a sovereign choice of the Almighty God. There is no other explanation. Because of that, we now know there was no man involved in this process. Joseph was not in this process, nor any other man. Dismiss those rumors that exist. Jesus had a human mother and no human father. Because of this, that means that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. He was fully human because he comes from Mary's womb. He's fully divine because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is not half human and half divine. No, no, no. He is God-man. One person possessing two natures. God incarnate. God in the flesh, what we'll talk about next Sunday. Yes, 
(laughs) The virgin birth matters greatly. Here's another way to state the same truth. In order for Christ to be our Savior, there's three conditions that must be met. First, he must be a man. An angel or any other supernatural being could not die for our sins, so he must share our humanity. Second, he must be an infinite man. A mere mortal could not bear the infinite price that had to be paid for our sins. He had to be something more than just a man. And third, he had to be innocent. He had to be sinless. A sinner could not die for another's sins. The virgin birth guarantees all of those conditions. Because he's born of Mary, he is fully human. Because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is fully God, and he is holy. He is sinless in thought, word, and deed. And that makes sure he is fully qualified to be our Savior. Now the hard part, how? How did that happen? Folks, it was a miracle. It was a miracle of the purest form. What exactly took place when the Holy Spirit conceived the human life of Jesus Christ within Mary's womb? The most honest answer to that question is, we don't know. (laughs) Because it was a pure miracle. By that I mean this. It was a miracle of the absolute highest order on par with God saying the words, let there be light. And light appeared out of darkness, something from nothing. The virgin conception of Jesus was a direct, creative miracle of God. That means it is a mystery that you and I, this side of eternity, will never be able to fully understand. Only God himself could create a human life that is fully divine and fully human. Jesus Christ, then, is God's one and only Son. It is a miracle and it is a mystery that lies beyond our reach of scientific explanation. Now, Luke 135 gives us a hint of what happened when the angel says that the power of the Most High will overshadow Mary. That same verb is used in the Greek translation, all the way back in Exodus, verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 35. Moses, it said, could not enter the tent of meeting. Why? Because a cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, same Greek word, Psalm 91.4, same word. It's poetic image this time describing God covering his people. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. Now those images just give us a glimpse, an idea of what happened when God overshadowed Mary with his personal intimate presence that completely surrounded her, just like the clouds surrounded and covered and filled the tabernacle. This overshadowing protected Mary from all harm. And if you hadn't thought about this before, here's a thought for you. Mary was a virgin prior to this conception. Guess what? She was still a virgin after this conception. You see, only God could have ever done anything like this. Now, why does it matter? See, here's the problem. Here's the problem with a a message like this at Christmas. There's a lot of people listening today that already believe this is truth. Why? Why do we believe it is truth? We haven't really ever thought about it. Because you believe it is truth because, well, every December about this time, it's presented again. And so, yeah, okay, yep, I I believe that. That's that's really nice, but it really doesn't matter because I just believe. Okay, but that's a mistake. That's a mistake. What difference does it make that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Here's a few implications for you. Number one, biblical authority is at stake. 
Since both Matthew and Luke explicitly teach the virgin birth, immediately now we are faced with a big question. Do we believe what the Scripture specifically, plainly, obviously teaches? Now, for most of its life cycle here, the Bible, uh, people didn't really question this. But about 150 years ago, it became an issue. The problem could be stated this way. Matthew and Luke both tell us that Jesus entered the world in a supernatural way through an outrageous miracle of God. Later on, both of these writers tell us that Jesus' earthly life came to the climax with another outrageous miracle, his bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, talking about the second one there, we all understand the significance of the resurrection because he lives, I can live. But that's not quite the same with the virgin birth. His supernatural birth doesn't tell us anything about our physical birth, and we've already already been born anyway. So it's really easy to just kind of discount that truth as compared to the resurrection. But I want to caution you again, that would be a major, major mistake. If you can't believe the first miracle, how could you believe the second? If you doubt his birth, how can you be certain about his resurrection? You see, the Bible does not pick and present the life of Christ as a miracle buffet. Where you can pick some miracles here that, oh yeah, those are probably, oh, but over here, no, those are just too much. I just can't believe those things. The story of our Lord's earthly life comes to us as a whole. We take it or we reject it. There's no suitable middle ground. So the question becomes, do we believe the word of God or not? You see, the virgin birth forces us off the fence about Jesus. Who is he? Where did he come from? At issue is the supernatural character of Jesus. Is he truly the son of God from heaven? If your answer to that is yes, then believing in the virgin birth is like, of course. Why couldn't God do that? God can do anything he would like, quite honestly. If you answer no, well, then, of course, you have no reason to believe that. Is Jesus just a prophet? Is he just a great teacher? Nothing more. Was he just a martyr? that died for a cause? Was he just a revolutionary that never really wanted to start a religion? Is he a divine leader who came to teach us about God? Or or is he God in the flesh? Is he the Lord of glory, the Son of God, our Lord and our Savior? This story, this part of Jesus' life forces us to choose. It tells us we can't be neutral We can't say that the story of Jesus' birth doesn't matter. The fact is that it is a miracle and a mystery. That's okay. That's okay. Those who don't believe in the supernatural will have no use for the virgin birth. They'll just explain it away. And you've probably heard that. There's a lot of churches that explain this away in all kinds of different ways. But those who believe in a supernatural Jesus will find the virgin birth, yes, to be a mysterious miracle for sure. We don't fully grasp it. But instead of destroying our faith, it actually makes it stronger actually makes us stronger. Again, let me remind you of those three conditions. In order for Jesus to be our Savior, he must be fully man, but he also must be fully God, and he must be sinless. The virgin birth guarantees all of those things are met. Because of this, there is an absolute direct connection between the manger and the cross. It's his birth that makes his death so meaningful. 
If he is not who he said he was, then his death is the most tragic mistake in all of human history. His birth establishes his true identity as the Son of God, the promised Messiah, and our Savior. If you look at Matthew and you read that account, you read the encounter of Joseph with the angel. When Joseph is told that the baby that Mary was carrying was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the very next breath, the angel told Joseph that you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. See, the angel connects this miraculous birth directly to the, his saving work on the cross. The virgin birth matters because it tells us plainly who Jesus is, and it lays the foundation for all of the great work he will accomplish later on the cross and through the resurrection because of his sinless birth, Jesus becomes the beginning of a new humanity. You might have heard Jesus referred to as the second Adam, a whole new creation, born of Mary. He's truly human, but conceived by the Spirit, he is fully God. It enables Jesus to fully be able to stand in our place, to take our guilt. Only he could pay for our sins precisely because he knew no sin and became sin for us that we might receive the righteousness of God through him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This brings us to Paul's words in Romans, at just the right time, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The precise moment in all of human history, the precise moment of our weakness, Christ was strong. He succeeded where Adam and all of Adam's descendants through the law had failed. We were so helpless that we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. Furthermore, the virgin birth tells us that our, our salvation is 100% supernatural. When God wanted to save the world, he had to take the initiative to send his own son. There, we were helpless to even take the very first step. We couldn't even do anything to work toward salvation. The virgin birth teaches us that the salvation is completely brought to us because of God's grace. God does it all because we couldn't do any of it at all. It's so true. So Jesus' birth is more than just important. The virgin birth is essential. And I am so thankful that God called this physician through the words of Paul to become a believer in this Jesus. And his mind, his intellectual mind, set him out on a journey that got him to find this story to record for us so that here we are 2,000 years later, and this is the only account we have of it. It is incredible. I'm so thankful to God for saving this story to both challenge us and to increase our faith. Don't shy away from the miracle of Christmas. Please don't water it down. Don't dismiss it. It forces us into faith. And that's okay. It will lead others to the same place. Father God, as we consider the implications of the birth of your son, we consider the reality that this is the only way that could have happened. When we consider the reality that we talked about last week, that this outrageous plan was put in place before the foundations of the earth were even set. Before time as we know it even began, this plan was put in place because it was going to be the only way that you could
could redeem us, that you could restore us into a right relationship with you, that you could save us. And we're so thankful for your calling of, of Dr. Luke to set out with this task of coming up with a, a, a story of the life of Jesus that was so precise, was so detailed, was so involved, that it went all the way back to literally his very birth. And he recorded all these tiny little seemingly maybe insignificant elements of his birth for us to look back on and reflect at just how awesome and incredible and perfect your plan is for us. Father, it's okay to ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. But Father, part of faith is knowing that sometimes those questions just don't have a human answer. And that's okay. That's called faith. And so if there's people here today or watching online that have joined us that have questions about you, about your son, about what it means to come to faith, about how on earth could you possibly accept them, how could you possibly forgive them, then I pray that they ask those questions because those questions have lots and lots of answers. And we can't wait to share your love and your grace and your mercy with those people that do not know you yet. May you bring them, may your spirit lead them to a point of faith. May they convict them of their sins and bring them into your family here with us. How what a blessing that would be. Father, as we face Christmas next week, some of us excitedly, some of us not so much for various reasons in life. I pray if there's anyone struggling this morning with the, the coming of Christmas this next year, that, that they would come forward and allow us to pray with them. They don't need to share a thing. Just give us the opportunity to pray your word over them, to bless them in that way and offer them the encouragement, the comfort, the support that they need to go into this next week knowing that you are fully present in their lives. They're not doing this alone no matter how they might feel in this moment. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence here with us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.